Talking about climate is hard. It's complicated. Climate grief can be paralyzing and optimism can feel fake. The Climate One podcast delivers empowering conversations that deepens your understanding of the climate crisis and its impact on everything. Every week, co-hosts Greg Dalton and Ariana Brochers dive deep on the failures of capitalism, environmental racism, the emotional trauma of fires and floods, and of course, the politics of it all. In a world littered with disinformation, Climate One has earned a reputation as one of the most credible resources on climate disruption. Climate One is available wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes dropping every Friday. Subscribe to Climate One today. Now back to the coolest show. This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. What she prayed for, she ain't been stable since Cain killed Abel. Oh man, I am so excited for this conversation um, for so many reasons, um, and we're gonna get we're gonna get right to it. Uh, um, I want to bring in um, Sakawis. Nobis, who is an amazing activist out of Iowa. And I got a story about Iowa we may get to, but um, my friend, um, how are you? I'm doing good today, actually. Uh, today I woke up just feeling uh, recharged and rested, uh, which is nice because I've been um, a little tired from uh, Native American Heritage Month and Indigenous Peoples Day. So today is a good day. I know you're of uh, the George Gordon First Nation. Um, that so I want to make sure because I know for me I, I use Rev as a first name. Um, say your 
your name how you would want to be said so that you say it right. And then when they hear me say it in my Louisiana <laughs> verbiage, they'd be like, oh, okay, Rev just saying that wrong. But say it. Yeah. <laughs> I, my name is Sakawis Nobis. Um, I, yes, it's, I love when people call me Sakawis. My, uh, my government name, as we like to say um, in Indian country, is Christine. And uh, I'm the furthest from a Christine. So Sakawis actually means fierce. See, that's why I asked that question. That is powerful. So Sakawis, um, who is Sakawis and who is your community? Oh, wow. That is uh, a good question because uh, I belong to a lot of communities. Um, you know, Indigenous identity is definitely complicated. And uh, we have a lot of layers of who we are, uh, basically because of, uh, you know, government institutions and uh, traditional ways uh, and reservations versus urban communities and, you know, so many other ways that we uh, live and walk through this world. Um, so I uh, am Plains Cree Salto, or actually Nehia is more of the correct way of saying Plains Cree, it's our way of saying that. Um, so I'm Nehia and Salto, um, and I'm a citizen of the George Gordon First Nation, and that's in Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, Canada. And uh, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, which is not too far from there. So I grew up in an urban setting, um, but, you know, went back and forth to visit my reservation as a child. And, um, uh, you know, have grandparents that were uh, both uh, forced into uh, residential schools, uh, so were scrubbed of their culture and language. Um, but, you know, as uh, an adult, uh, I uh, was able to uh, really get that back on my own, you know, bring myself back to my own culture and actually went to school for it. So I have a master's, I have an have undergraduate degree in religious studies and a master's degree from the University of Iowa on a focus on Native American religions and culture. And that's actually how I ended up in Iowa. So I came here to get uh, my degree in that and um, a minor in Native American studies. And so my focus was on Native American religion and culture. And uh, I just didn't go home. Um, my ex-husband and I stayed here and had children. So I've been in Iowa, Iowa City for 17, 18 years now. And uh, during that time, about, you know, six to seven, eight years ago, um, yeah, more like eight years ago now, time goes by so fast, I was, you know, attempting to found this organization that is now known as Great Plains Action Society. And uh, because of the Dakota Access Pipeline fight, uh, was finally able to garner interest in it. And um, now here we are, 100% Indigenous-led and run. Uh, working throughout Iowa and eastern Nebraska, and honestly doing a lot of national work too. And uh, and I'm the executive director, so that's, I guess, oh, and, and I'm a mom. I'm a mom of two beautiful kids. Um, uh, and yeah, that's that's who I am. That's, that's powerful. And, you know, I was a part of the... Um, the Dakota Access Pipeline fight, um, and as well as was the Hip Hop Caucus, and you know we've been in a part of many um, pipeline fights over the now going on twenty years of existence, and so it's always good to, to talk with 
others who were a part of these fights. I don't know if you've seen um, the movie documentary that came out, Lakota versus U.S. Um, but I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I actually got to see like a little preview of it, um, and it was amazing. Just shout out to that story and shout out to all those about the land back movement and just that's really, really well done. So please, when you get a chance, uh, Sokovis, please check that out. Um, that's it's it's pretty dope. Um, you know, in Iowa, fun fact, I think I told you this earlier, we were talking um, about how I got the key to the city of Waterloo, Iowa. <laughs> and uh, I mean, when we were, we were doing our Make Hip Hop Not War tour, and when I came through, they gave me this huge wooden key in, Water, in Waterloo, Iowa. I don't know what it, I'm not sure what that key would go to. But then they wanted me to sit on a John Deere, <laughs> which was, <laughs> I was like, yo. That's making me laugh so much right now. I was like, yo, why Why they want me to go sit on a John Deere? I mean, listen, and then, but but I know now, Sokovas, if if you had been there, you'd have been like, Rev, you're not sitting on that John Deere. <laughs> and I'm like, I would have. I would have. <laughs> like, nah, yeah. my, my brother ain't sitting on no John Deere. Y'all. I'll give him the key. <laughs> <laughs> you give yeah, him the key. Take the key. But we not, not we not tractor. doing the tractor thing. Um, you know what's amazing is that Mississippi River uh runs the entire length of the US before flowing into the Gulf of Mexico, uh throughout my mm-hmm. my home state of Louisiana. It covers about forty percent of the continental United States, you know, providing drinking water for nearly twenty million people. And the Mississippi River is the largest drainage basin in the U.S. and the second longest river in North America. It obviously runs from north to south, starting in what is known as Saskatchewan, province of Canada. Um, So what does the significance of the river, Mississippi River, have to you and those in your community? Well, that's wow. That's a lot of significance. Um, so I'm trying my best. I'm trying to figure out where I should start because. Um, yeah, no, because it's, it is truly water is life. Absolutely. Firstly, water is life. Um, and I want to say the Mississippi is not doing very well. Uh, the Mississippi is the dirtiest, unhealthiest river in the nation right now. And that makes me really sad um, because it's the, it's the nation's mightiest river. And, um, that if it is the drainage basin basin for so many other tributaries. So it goes to show you like where everything eventually ends up. And like, that's why the Mississippi is so unhealthy because, um, we're just not taking care of, of the land, the water, the air, anything, um, really, uh, colonial capitalist, uh, ideologies about being in this world are about extraction and, um, you know, uh, taking what you can, when you can, how you can, um, and not really thinking about uh, the uh, results of those actions. And so that's why the Mississippi's in the state that she is right now. Um, in terms of my my feelings about the Mississippi, um, the it's such a diverse river, and um, I've I've had a real passion now for years since moving to Iowa to, to do more about what's happening there. Um, because Iowa is the most biologically colonized state in the country. And, um, 
that's because of big egg. So that's why I, we were laughing about the tractor earlier because, yeah. you know, John Deere is really a sign of oppression and uh, theft of land and uh, colonial aggression towards both people and the land. Right. And so uh, like big egg here has taken over. I mean, most of the land here is monocropped with corn and soy. Um, it, we've got CAFOs all over. CAFOs means concentrated animal feed operations, basically where you shove pigs or chickens um, or even cows into like small spaces, confined spaces, um, and they live out these, you know, really, really deplorable lives. Uh, and then they're slaughtered and that, that they're, you know, they're brought over to meatpacking plants where that all happens. And um, so that if you look at a, a map, and I wish I could show that map right now, of like CAFOs across Iowa, there's like 15,000 of them. Like the map's almost, you know, kind of black with all these dots. And um, it, uh, you know, and then, and that's not even showing like the ethanol plants or the meatpacking plants or the fertilizer plants or, you know, like um, all these other uh, industries that are linked to farming in Iowa. So in the end, you know, basically most of Iowa is dedicated to growing, you know, ethanol or growing, sorry, growing, growing fuel for cars and uh, food for animals, which means that most of the corn here goes towards ethanol production and uh, and food to feed animals. So I'm getting to the Mississippi. No, no, no. But take <laughs> so your time. All of that, yeah. And so all of what ha- what's going on here is like the the land is just being covered in pesticides, herbicides, fungicides fertilizers, um, who knows what else. Also, don't forget all of the uh, pig waste and animal waste that's getting into the waterways um, and eventually into the Mississippi River. Now, it might even be getting into the Mississippi because, well, it is getting to the Mississippi even through the Missouri River because there's a confluence down in Missouri, right? So Iowa is the only state whose borders, eastern and western borders, are these two rivers. So, like, that's a really unique aspect wow. of Iowa. And these are the nation's two biggest rivers. And then um, we are one of the biggest polluters of these rivers. And so, and, and it, you know, the current administration of this uh, state is uh, very Trumpian, I guess you could say. So there's really little to no care about what's happening here and you know they're trying to loosen regulations uh for you know the farming industry um whereas you know people are fighting uh to tighten them um i do know that they're trying to do way or if they haven't already done it uh with uh um giving uh the nitrate levels out to people that like they test in the waters um and like the water here is just so bad that uh Throughout the year, uh, in the you know the summer when it's uh, a sw- you know swimming time to swim in the waters, uh, you know it depends on the year. But sometimes seventy percent of the beaches will be closed. Um, I I personally would never let my kids swim here. They never have and they never will. Um, and so eventually, what happens is all of this ends up in the Mississippi River because even if it gets into the Missouri on the western side, it meets the Mississippi, and then it. It all goes downstream, and then where does it end up? And then it ends up in the, you know, the the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it ends up in, in my community. Yeah, the, it ends up in the dead zone. And so we are one of the number one, probably the number one um, contributor to that, I would think. 
Um, I've been told that. I just can't remember where I got the stat from, so I don't want to necessarily say that. But I want to say that we definitely are a huge contributor to the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. And all that sediment that's growing there, that's building up, that's like all of our soil. The UN says we only have about 60 harvests left um, here in terms of uh, the topsoil being able to, uh, you know, take the... Um, you know, to, to take the, the planting and the tilling and like the, you know, the extractive way that farming is done here. Um, and, you know, yet in the past, like there were areas of Iowa where topsoil could be as deep as nine feet. Now we're down to inches. Um, and that's because between 1830 and 1860, you know, settler invaders came through here and genocided the area. Well, it would have been, it was a during and before kind of situation. And then, um, you know, they're able to kind of completely colonize the state in just 30 years. And what that means is covering the state with themselves, right, and, and their way of living, and then tilling and killing all the beautiful tall grass prairie and cutting down all the, uh, you know, the oak and the oak savannas um, and uh, just basically changing the state from, like, being as biologically diverse as a rainforest to now being as biologically diverse as a desert. And so um, that's what I think about the Mississippi River. Um, I love her very much, and I'm really sad about what's going on. You know, as you, as you were talking, um, one of the things that was running through my mind was also the history of the particular here on Turtle Island, the American history of the Mississippi River. Uh, we, were, we made the comment earlier, water's life, many were shown the importance of, of this river and how it has sustained the land for thousands of years. Um, for me, what's interesting is that the, the river also was a pathway to freedom um, for enslaved um, people. And, you know, when the, the, the song will go out down by the riverside, that, that wasn't a gospel. I mean, it was a gospel, but it wasn't a gospel. It wasn't referenced just to singing to the Lord or whatever. It was really about you going down here to the riverside. We, we better get up out of here. <laughs> and that was really what that was about. And, yeah. and the context of the river was a pathway freedom. It's, it's ironic that it's now a pathway to destruction. So from your standpoint, how has the Mississippi River shaped, in your opinion, American history from colonization and the forming of borders to enslavement and manifest destiny? Okay. Well, I mean, the Mississippi River never shaped anything. The Mississippi River um, doesn't listen to borders. Um, water doesn't. Water doesn't know borders. And so um, these these delusional, I call them delusional, um, and um, uh, and I would say that they are an illusion. This illusion of borders here in the US is something that was stamped upon, um, you know, people in a way of living and uh, 
our our loose territories, you know, like uh and the Mississippi was like, you know, obviously a marker, you know, for some people in that, you know, uh quest, you know, to uh, you know, for that that the the purpose of manifest destiny. Um but it was also a place that people um you know, there's also stories, and I, I don't want to tell this story because too much because it's a Meskwaki story, but because I'm here in Iowa and there's this is a place where Meskwaki people are, um, it, you know, they tell the story about how it saved their lives because they were fleeing um, uh, violence from other uh, tribes, um, and I think the government as well are, you know, uh, sort of imperialist forces, and they crossed the Mississippi, and, um, and that's what saved them. <laughs> um now, like my, you know, view of the Mississippi in terms of like what, what it's provided, um, the people in order to, you know, to fight manifest destiny and colonial capitalism, um, is that it's provided so much, you know, like, um, if you go up North, um, it's where the headwaters are, that's where the head, you know, that's where, um, you find the wild rice. And, you know, people are currently trying to get rights of nature for that wild rice. And it's, it's linked to that. Um, it's linked to, um, uh, like a lot of ceremony for indigenous peoples up and down the river. Um, it's linked to, uh, communication and networking, um, and trade. Um, and again, like you said, like it's, it's also linked to, uh, you know, freeing people from enslavement and, um, it's, it's basically been uh, not just a, a, um, a source of, of life itself, but a source to save life. And uh, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm so invested in. You better preach. You better preach now. You better come with that. I'm going to stop you, but that's, that was, that was all right. Right. There. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that's why I'm so invested in in like the health of the Mississippi. Um, yeah, and I'd love to talk about our, our Mississippi River Summit, but I can talk about that after if you want more questions. Yeah, no, I got, I got a few more questions, but let's but but let's go there. I mean, let's talk, let's talk about that. Let's let's since you on that's in your in in in, in, yeah. in, your, in your spirit, let's let's get that out. Yeah, what what what, what, what so, talk about that? Um. I I'm excited about this because hopefully it's going to lead to something bigger. Um, but in May this year, after years of trying to get the funding, I was able to put together uh, the first Mississippi River Summit here in the Quad Cities, which sits on um, uh, you know the Mississippi between Illinois and Iowa. And uh, we brought forty folks from like the north part of the Mississippi all the way down to the, you know, Gulf of Mexico, um, indigenous folks, black folks, Latino, Latina folks. Um, and, uh, they came to, uh, talk about, uh, the different issues in their communities, um, the different, uh, ways that they interact with the river, um, and like what we need to do in order to gain rights of nature for that river. So the goal, the goal of the summit was to bring BIPOC folks together so that we can um, start talking about the river on our own terms um, rather than uh, through white-led organizations that tend to kind of dominate like well, that, you know, the river and uh, like in, in it, like the river in terms of like 
um, not just like all of the 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 capitalism that goes on there, but also even like the attempts to keep it safe. Uh, and so, you know, indigenous folks, black, brown and indigenous folks are, you know, always at the front lines of, you know, disasters. And um, we wanted to make sure that, you know, people are being heard uh, con concerning the river and also like have a BIPOC led coalition that will eventually hopefully get rights of nature for the river. Um, rights of nature basically to me is like just a native way of um, like looking at, you know, different as different uh, features or, you know, parts of our world. Um, you know, like for instance, um, it basically what it, what it would do is it would give the river like kind of similar rights as to what a human being has. It would look at the river like, you know, like a, like a human. So if we can, if we can provide, you know, rights to um, LLCs and, you know, whatever these corporate conglomerates, right. Um, certainly we can provide rights to uh, entities that uh, provide, sustain our lives. So like rivers and, and, and people are trying to get rights of nature for the wild rice. Like I said earlier, people are trying to get rights of nature for the salmon right now. Um, and so this particular summit, it was a four day summit. Um, you know, we talked a lot about like all the different fights going on. I'm sure you've heard of Rye St. James. Um, uh, they were there. That's where I'm from. I mean, that's, that's my neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they were there. Um, folks from Memphis were there. Um, folks from, you know, the Iowa tribe, um, Squawky Nation, um, you know, all, all these people uh, that have like, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, um, you know, touch point with that river uh, were there. And, and now we're working towards building our coalition. It's slow going because, you know, everybody's so busy. But, um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying, we're trying to get the website going and up. And, um, once we do that, we hope that we can start, uh, collecting more and more folks and, uh, just basically advertising, if you will, or like getting out there, like all the different things that, that are going on in all of our different communities and just start working together more, uh, on this idea of getting rights of nature. No, that's wonderful. Um, thank you for mentioning that. And I guess I want to kind of go back to what you were saying right before that and regarding how this, the pollution going down into, flowing down, literally down into the bottom part of the Mississippi, down into the Gulf, um, and about how the farm line connected to the Mississippi River Basin, particularly big ag and pesticides. But I want to get to just other sources of pollution, because you just mentioned St. Saint, Saint James, St. James, which is a powerful organization with my sister, Sharon, Levine and Shamara Levine and Shamel Levine and many others down there I'm really from. I'm I'm from Shreveport and, and Monroe in that area, but that's right there in the middle of Cancer Alley. So I guess my question is, you know, what sources of pollution are are polluting this river? And particularly what role do petrochemicals play? Because I know in St. James Parish in Louisiana, we that Mississippi River cuts through. And that is the connecting point for a lot of these, this industry to use the Mississippi River to base themselves in Cancer Alley, which is a horrible, horrible, horrible nickname um, that I hope one day is, is not there to be named Cancer Anything. Um, but what role have you seen petrochemicals play and what other sources of pollution are impacting or being used by Mississippi River to carry out business of industry? 
Yeah, well, I mean, industry, uh, manufacturing of any kind uh, is going to uh, affect uh, our rivers, right? Because um, we honestly in the United States, um, well, kind of anywhere in the, it feels like almost anywhere in the world, we haven't really figured out a good way to deal with, you know, waste from manufacturing. And I feel like that always ends up in water somehow. Um, so there's, you know, all sorts of, 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 of plastics manufacturing, you know, clothes manufacturing. Well, I mean, that's made from plastic as well. And honestly, let's just talk about plastic, right? Which is a petrochemical as well. Um, you know, like our, our water is being filled with like small particles of, of, of plastic now. Um, and, 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 you know, that's a polluter, um, right there. And, um, again, like I had mentioned, um, the, uh, uh, pesticides and herbicides well like pesticides actually even have petrochemicals in them as well so like the petrochemicals are everywhere um and then let's not forget <coughs> nitrate levels um like just heavy levels of nitrates heavy metals basically antibiotics um coming from uh all the 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 waste of all the animal waste that's getting into the waters because we, we, we put so many of that into them now uh, because we're not, we're not raising them sustainably, right? Like we're raising them like objects. And so then they constantly have to get dosed with antibiotics and other types of, you know, vaccinations to keep these like horrific diseases from overtaking, you know, taking our animals. In fact, here in Iowa, they just killed like a million, I don't know the exact number. I feel like it was like a million chickens because of an avian flu outbreak. Um, so like we're, we're, we're like, let me just put it this way. We are always so close to some horrific disease arising uh, to not just kill our animals, but like us as well, because of the way we treat them. I wouldn't even want to say we, because I don't even want to like, yeah, be a part no, of that. You're right. I'm glad, I'm, glad you clar- nah, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah. yeah. Facts. Yeah, it's them. Yeah. It's the colonizers, man. That's their that's their fault. Yeah. Um, I, I say all the time to groups of white folks when I talk to them, like white people can't farm. They have no business touching they have no business touching any land here at all anymore because they have proven to us that all they know how to do is destroy things. They have no idea what regenerative ag- agriculture really is. No, I, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, there, I mean, it's been shown, it's been seen, as I said before, from Cancer Alley to Big Ag, that their business plan means a death sentence for us and other animals, period. Like, yeah, like, so they can't look at a piece of land and just say the, that piece of land or that, that system, that river, that whatever is doing something helpful just as it is. It's to them. It's garbage if it's not being utilized in some way. It's not. It's it's if it's not making you money, then it's 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 useless. I mean, that's just such a ridiculous way of looking at things. But if you saw things in right relationship, if you saw things as your brother, your sister, um, you know, your relative in some way, you would understand that. Like a lot of like well, everywhere, everything has a point, and there's a reason to why it's working the way it's working, and that we have to integrate ourselves into that system rather than like forcing a system upon it. Um, and that's the problem colonizers have. Um, and 
Um, I know that in the, in the black community, there's a lot of, you know, um, folks that, um, you know, believe in Christianity, but I do got to say Christianity is part of the problem. Um, you know, the Christian dogma that God gave man dominion over the earth is honestly, like, in my opinion, like at the root of the problem. And like that, that's like at the root of the doctrine of discovery, the root of, um, manifest destiny and all of that. Um, because it's really not how we should be living. And, and that's why I think indigenous folks were genocided so harshly because we were just in complete opposition to that way of thinking. And does that continue, do you think? I mean, I think that one of the things they obviously, they continue to not respect the land and not see it as a relative and not see the water as something that's, an, and the other species and other animals as, as something that they should care for. And, and and know that it's in that everything is in community and this that dominion you're speaking of the, that also goes into obviously white suppression and many other things H- how is that at this point how do you change that around you know what i'm saying how does that how, how does how does that mentality be be reversed and does it only come from particularly indigenous and brown and black folk and Folk who can who understand that and saying that listen, we have been doing this the right way for centuries upon centuries of respect for the earth, and now we need to get back to that. How do we get back there? Um, well, like again, you know, I I feel like there has to be a paradigm shift. Like it's not just about necessarily like changing what we do. Like, okay, yeah, we can try and force that through, but we're not gonna be successful if people don't understand like what what is at the base of all of this and that's christian colonial capitalism right and so like we start to we have to have honest conversations and conversations are going to make us feel uncomfortable and difficult to deal with but like i'm i this is what i say and that's you know this is just me because i'm an indigenous person whose um you know relatives were you know tortured at you know residential schools that were run by christians right i feel like we need to phase out christianity um, I think we need to elevate and empower our indigenous traditions from, you know, here uh, in the U.S. Um, and in Africa and all over the world. We need to we need to really, really bring those back because they are powerful and they are a way to fight the current mindset that I think lives uh, throughout um, this world, you know, through the perp- perpetuation of uh, of Christian colonial capitalism, because it's all linked. Right. So I'm not just saying it's all just just the religion, but this is where it's, it was founded from. So we have to have that that difficult conversation, um, and and like in, you know, indigenous peoples, um, you know, they we just they're you know they we make up like five percent of the world right now. I, I think that number is higher because I think a lot of more people would identify as indigenous if they weren't oppressed. Um, but you know, protecting 80% of the world's biodiversity. Um, I also think that like, we need to get out of our trenches. We need to overcome, um, the imperialist agenda to divide and conquer and, and work together more, um, as oppressed peoples, you know, black and, and indigenous folks and Latino, Latino folks and everybody. Um, we need to, to definitely like understand that, like, we have a common oppressor and, um, that that's not each other you know and and that that's that's this like um 
you know, uh, it's more than just the government now. It's like the entity is of itself. It's like the almost like the economy, you know, like the economy is king, right? We might have like a, you know, a president, but the economy is really king. And that's what needs to be changed. Like that's what we need to be working on, chipping away at changing the economy. Because we need an economy based on compassion and um, one where like regenerative practices come first. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what I want to see happen. And, and like back to you when you're asking about the list of things or the things in the water, you know, I, I didn't even talk about the pipelines. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know like yeah. where you're from, you know, that's like pipelines, pipeline center there, right? Like there's all sorts of pipelines like that are, you know, crossing the, these beautiful marshes as well, these bayous, right? Like they shouldn't be in there. Like, you know, we shouldn't be building on that, you know, and even construction, that's a huge issue. Um, you know, here in, in Iowa, you know, there was a huge push at one point and I wasn't sure if it was the Mississippi itself or one of its tributaries, um, where folks were trying to get all this concrete out of the water that had been dumped there for years by construction companies. Um, and so like, again, um, but back to these pipelines, you know, it, we, we, you know, we, we have to get off of our dependence of oil and, you know, I'd love to say like, it would be great to see like a, you know, a push by the people to make that happen. But, but honestly, there has been a push by the people. Um, in the end, you know, the, the 1% is, is running the world. Um, and it's, it's, it's about, um, you know, changing like their, how much power they have on us. And that's just, that's, that's a long long process the long haul no, it's, um, it's, but, know, it's, but, it's but it's a long haul but organized people can beat organized money if people organize so it's a long haul though i mean we not stop you in the long haul part it's definitely it's definitely a long yeah, haul it's been like what 500 years since they <laughs> yeah. 530 i guess since they first came here um so yes yeah, you know i doubt it's gonna you know change overnight but you know, I just, I just, yeah, I, you know, I just think about what happened in 2020 with like the BLM uprising and that was very inspirational. And, um, I don't know, we just need to keep pushing. You know, I think about Standing Rock. I think about all the times that, you know, we've stood up in this country and, um, there, we just can't quit. No, we can't. Well, and, and we, and if anybody's listening, um, we, we can't quit. And I want to make sure, because I know for me, I've been, you know, pretty hardcore fighting um, throughout. I want to make sure also that we, you know that we can't quit, but you, we also must have can repair. Um, I know one of our producers uh, tomorrow told a lot of will make sure I would say that, as as with Destiny, um, who would also would be probably clapping our hands as we're talking about um, an indigenous perspective to our religion and faith and getting back to that. So, um, and so all those things are connected here. Um, you know, what I want to, I want to go into it because we have a little bit of a, a good, good sized audience. And I want to, since we're having this conversation, I want to dig into a little bit of polit political education, just kind of ask you some questions that folks may not know. But maybe you can just kind of do rapid fire, just kind of just uh, just kind of do it. So I want to 
if you're down for that, Sokovis, uh, I want to make sure we, uh, we, you know, we, we can do that. I hope, I hope I can answer. Well, we'll no, you know, if you, if you can't, <laughs> yeah. listen, we, 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 this like, uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out, put it in the chat, something like that. We'll figure, we'll figure it out. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so let's start. So first I want to say this about what you would say about water. Um, what's interesting, um, even from a polling perspective, if you're into politics like that, um, Democrats and Republicans and independents, having clean water for them actually polls high. Um, and that's important, particularly for things that we work for at the Hip Hop Caucus, from people from Flint to Jackson, Mississippi, to Baltimore, to Atlanta, Georgia. It's very important for us. What's interesting is that clean air doesn't. So it also shows how the other side uses um, communications, messaging. So we have to sometimes, we have to do better about what it means to have clean air, clean water, to do better at what it means to when we say that, um, you know, uh, climate justice and or and how it's like to racial justice. I think we need to just make sure that we, because they'll just say climate hoax or whatever, but we have to make sure that we have to do this political education, hence why we're going to do right now, why right? it's important for people just to hear us discuss these things. So with that, for folks who don't know, then what are the connections between river basins, watersheds, and our local city or town water supplies? Oh, man. Just the other day, I said, um, the health of the water determines the health of the community. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't be more adamant about that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, like, you know, again, I don't even, I don't even want to use the term cancer alley because of what you just said, but that's a, an example right there. Right. It's a sad example. It makes me want to cry actually. Um, you know, and then I, and then I'm, I'm actually getting really emotional because I'm thinking about my friend, uh, Kellen, um, who works for, uh, I think it used to be called the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy, but now Taproot. Kellen LaCour, LaCour, I can't, I can't remember her last name all of a sudden. Uh, but, you know, she was talking about the dead zone when she came to our Mississippi River Summit. And just the emotions to hear, like, you know, about the things that are changing and, and everything that's dying and going away. And, um, you know, to, to hear about, like, all these um, Asian-American uh Fisher uh, people that have been uh, in that area now for generations, right, that have created a thriving life out there who can no longer fish because, you know, the seawaters are rising, um, you know, land is sinking because, you know, the reservoirs are depleting. Um, and then also, let's not forget, like, again, all the chemicals that are like, you know, creating havoc uh, on our on the ecosystems, like, these communities are no longer thriving right now they're now they're struggling um not only are they struggling uh with health issues um but they're struggling financially um and and emotionally because uh you know their their ways of life are going away even our traditions and our cultures are are struggling you know um the result of the mississippi river was 500 and something years in the making so that what that what that means is that you know indigenous peoples went through an apocalypse essentially um and were were violently taken away from that river 
and our relationship to that river and um, our stewardship of that river. And then in place was put in this, you know, um, system of, of violence. Um, like I, I, I do call it a system of violence because the way colonial capitalism interacts with the world is always in a violent way. Um, and, and then because of that, now we have this river that is the most polluted river in the country. And, um, and look at the indigenous people, look, look, look at what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with higher rates of, um, you know, uh, substance abuse, high rates of domestic violence, high rates of suicide, high rates of, so like you, it shows you like right there as an example, like when you take people from the land, when you take them away from like, you know, their, their space uh, and their, their um, connection to sacred spaces, um, you, you take away their emotional well-being, um, and, uh, you basically, when you genocide the people, you're genociding the land. And then, you know, you bring um, enslaved folks into this conversation um, and, and immigrants um, who are actually have traditional migration routes into these lands, right, from South America and Central America. And you're creating even uh, more, um, in my opinion, like a just more violence you're bringing you know you're you're you're, you're being violent and that's why like again i said like we all have to work together because we're all we're all facing down the same the same monster well let me say i've got a couple more questions let me say this we we do a, we, we we are very connected our our guests who come on the show love their community and their people so we we do a lot of crying so there's no you 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 right in line with with many of us who have cried many times on on this show um, and become emotional um, because we want our future generations to have clean air and clean water. Um, so this this is my, my, I have just two more questions. One question really is about what you were just talking about. Um, just, just really, how is the climate crisis impacting the Mississippi River um, from your standpoint? It's been in drought now for, is this the second year down south? Um, Iowa's in drought now. This is the fourth year. So obviously we're not, we're not, you know, um, producing the water that the Mississippi needs as well. Like just one example of, of one state. Um, so now, like from what I know from um, my, you know, my, my connections down in Louisiana, um, you know, the salt water, the salt water is flowing inland now into the Mississippi where there's, where the Mississippi is dried up. And, um, you know, folks are having to check the salinity of their tap water at this moment. And, um, that's, that's a huge indicator that, you know, the climate is, um, getting warmer. Um, and just to, and this is said that there are people who are living closest to the Gulf of Mexico near the Mississippi river, uh, Delta, have lost access to safe drinking water, um, and are, are losing that. We'll lose that as, as early as who knows, June, just due to the salt water intrusion of the of the river. Yeah, and I remember Miss Sharon Levine um, and the uh, 
couple of young women that attended with her, or the, I think it was just one person, sorry, there was supposed to be two, but um, that attended with her at, at our Mississippi River Summit. Um, I just remember, or maybe, no, it was it was Miss Sharon Levine's daughter um, who I spoke to um, when we were having a Zoom preparing for their visit. And she said, I can't wait to go visit, um, you know, you guys there because I want to see the Mississippi um, as a as a clear entity, like as as you know, before it's bogged down with all the sediment, and it's all like you know muddy, um, because of you know what's going on, and uh, so that was you know that was really emotional for me to hear that. Because like here in the Quad Cities or here along the Iowa, this the border of Iowa, like when you go to the Mississippi, you know, it still looks like you can still see into it, right? Um, but when you get down there, at that point, it's just carried so much of our sediment away, and it's got so many toxins in it that it's just not. It's not okay. It's not okay up here either. No, it's just not as this... severe, I guess. Well. Before this last question is on a good bit of news, shout out to Shamira Levine, that the daughter of Sharon Levine, who just got who just got married. So I guess she is doing the good stuff to keep the future. So congratulations, Shamira. If you're listening, uh oh, we wishing you much success in your in your in your partnership and we're hoping that uh we can hopefully you can see a, a better Mississippi river um so Corwis, uh what's your vision of the future you're fighting for and how can people follow and support you i love that question um so myself and uh my one of my best friends ever shelly buffalo who's misquaki um have started a land back project um a rematriation project if you will um and um if you want to know more about rematriation, uh, there's I can provide you with a link um, if you want to put that on 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 the site or whatever. Um, and it's basically it's the same thing as land back in a way, but more, in my opinion, um, it's it's more real. It's realer <laughs> if that's if that's the word I can use because um, it it I think that getting land back is is an act of feminism. I think that the earth is our mother. I think that um, indigenous ways of being um, all over this world uh, upheld the feminine. Um, nobody was perfect. So I'm not saying that all of our indigenous cultures were, you know, completely um, egalitarian with women and men. I'm just saying that um, we definitely had matriarchs. And, uh, you know, that was lost when colonization happened. And uh, so I think getting land back is is about bringing back the matriarchy. And so that's that's why I believe that we should use the word rematriate. Um, and then it's also it's not just about giving land back to indigenous peoples, like stolen land. Um, it's about uh, getting land uh, to um, other, you know, uh, BIPOC folks um, who have a right to that land. Um, you know, folks that come from enslaved peoples, um, because they were promised land, right? But what happened? Acres. You know, and, I mean, and, I know and, you know and, the story. And one mule. Forty acres 
and yeah and exactly and what happened with that like some people got it but then the people that got it were it was take, terrorized it was, it was terrorized taken well. away yeah, yeah and, no I, and i like to say terrorized because they really were um and so like i feel like you know the this country when i give land acknowledgements i also like to give labor acknowledgements like this country was um built on stolen land on with stolen labor and so um that's why i like to use the word rematriate too because land back is kind of not inclusive of um of our of our black brothers and sisters you know what i mean who i think are old land here um because you know that's a complicated thing you can't you, you know you, you can't necessarily go back you know to where your where your ancestors are from but you definitely are old here and um so rematriate's more inclusive that way and uh and then also rematriate is a nice word because um it it includes like the uh notion of like just putting the land back to how it should be so rematriating the 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 tall grass prairie rematriating the forest right like um rematriating our environments you know just so they can just be healthy again uh and and so yeah that's that's just something that um is really important so shelly and i are working on this project and uh we're it's a long-term project it has a lot to do with buffalo harvests teaching people how to harvest buffalo how to um you know how to how to do these traditional things how to bring back the buffalo how to you know save seeds how to uh identify plants how to grow first foods um, and then, uh, on top of that, getting an urban garden in Sioux city where, um, Iowa's largest indigenous population is, um, and then getting, uh, putting together a indigenous, um, uh, land trust here in Iowa, working on getting land to black and brown and indigenous folks, because 98% of agricultural land in this country is owned by white people. And that's got to stop because <laughs> like, look what they did, right? This is where we are. And, um, as we move forward in this climate emergency, black, brown, and indigenous folks are going to need um, access to land to grow food. And right now they don't. So, um, and then, you know, uh, eventually, you know, the goal, like, and this is kind of a pipe dream kind of goal, but like, I'm going to, you know, why not? Like, why not just say this needs to happen at least? Because I know it's going to be pretty hard to do something like this in Iowa, but we need to rematriate at least 9 million acres of land in Iowa that are on slopes that are higher than 9% and in floodplains, uh, because these are places where the soil is really, can is getting taken away. Because farmers plant on this stuff still, knowing that they're gonna get uh, insurance when the crops inevitably fail, because they're not, they're not gonna grow on these spaces. But these lands need to have the deep um, uh, prairie grass with the, with the deep, sorry, the prairie grass with the deep roots back in these lands so that I can hold the land in place. It can hold the soil in place and it can stop, stop it from being like washed off into the water. Um, and so that's, that's like the, you know, the, the big goal, but all these other, you know, small goals are, you know, part of the big one. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're really excited because, you know, we actually do have this Buffalo harvest coming up in February. Uh, and, um, we're, we're really looking forward to that. And if people want to support, um, like I said, I'll give you the link to um, the article I just wrote on rematriation. It's in reckon.news. Um, and uh, 
you know, honestly, I just, you know, want folks to sign up for our newsletter and, you know, maybe just support the work we do by, um, you know, liking our stuff on Facebook and Instagram and sharing it out. Um, that's, that's really, you know, that's really important. My friend, thank you so much for being with me. Um, it was, it was a pleasure and an honor. Um, thank you. Yeah. And that's our thank you. Yeah, that's our guest today. Thank you for giving me a yeah, platform. Yeah, no, most definitely. We we appreciate you and thank you for just being true to our people and our lives and this future generations. Um, we appreciate you. Um, and that's our guest today. It's Sokovis Nobis, executive director of Great Plains Action Society, and I am. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show.